Al Jazeera podcast. Feeling the heat of the war on Gaza, Israel says the fighting is costing it millions of dollars every day, and the devastation in the Strip is unprecedented. So what's the real cost to both sides? And what's the impact in the region and globally? I'm Tom McRae, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest now. In West Jerusalem is Menachem Klein, Professor of Political Science at Ba'alan University. He is also the author of Lives in Co- Common, Arabs and Jews in Jerusalem, Jaffa and Hebron. In Colchester is Natasha Lindstedt, US policy and foreign policy specialist. She is the Deputy Dean in the Department of Government at the University of Essex. And in Alexandria, Virginia, is Yusuf Munir, head of the Palestine-Israel program and senior fellow at the Arab Centre. A warm welcome to all of you. Thank you for joining us here on Inside Story. Menachem, if I could begin with you, uh, first of all, we heard that it's costing Israel $246 million US dollars a day. How big is the financial burden on Israel as it carries out this war? The Israeli war operation costs a lot. I'm not an expert on security financial issues, but uh, the imagine that the whole economy is stopped. Uh, tens of thousands of Productive people are recruited and deployed along the borders. So the whole economy is uh, in hold. And uh, the Israeli shekel is losing vis-a-vis the American dollar. So it's a huge, a huge burden mm. on Israeli economy. Mm. What, what was maybe uh, cannot be repaired or uh, come back within a short period. Mm. Natasha, we've heard economists warn uh, saying that the cost to Israel will be unlike anything it has experienced in decades. Do you think that the people there and the government is prepared to pay for this war in the long term? Are you speaking of the government of Israel? Yes. I, I think based on what uh, Netanyahu has said, that they are incredibly determined uh, and that there's no turning back. Uh, I, from what I've heard, it's been described as their own 9-11. If you were to compare uh, the U.S. spent $2 trillion in the war on terror uh, in response to 9-11. Uh, so when there's been a trauma often governments get behind sometimes incredibly expensive uh, war efforts uh, to to address the, the trauma that the public may feel, whether that is wrong or right. But that seems to be what has happened in the past. And of course, this has incredibly um, detrimental effects on civilian death toll uh, and, and escalation. Uh, but I can imagine the resolve is quite strong. Mm. Yusuf, we've seen the humanitarian toll uh, that the people in Gaza have had, had, have had to bear over the last uh, several weeks. 
But what about Hamas in particular? I mean, where does it get its money from and its arms? And presumably those are now getting reinforcements into the Strip. Obviously, is not going to happen because of the blockade and the closure of the borders completely. What happens from Hamas's perspective about having to continually defend itself against Israel from here? Well, I think the short answer is we simply don't know. We don't know where this is uh, going. We don't know how it's going to end. Uh, we don't know what Gaza will look like if there if there is a uh, Gaza at the end uh, of the uh, Israeli campaign there. If you listen to some of the statements from Israeli officials talking about annihilation, talking about making Gaza a place that is unlivable, um, it's it's uh, it's hard to to really imagine what uh, what this place will look like when they are done. We've seen massive uh, bombardment with a, a huge percentage of the uh, structures in Gaza being uh, decimated. Of course, this leads to to uh, large scale depopulation as well. Um, and there's no clear sense of when the people who lived uh, in those places will be able to go back to their homes and if they will be able to go back to their homes. So we're talking about a, um, a completely different uh, paradigm than the one that existed prior uh, to October 7th in Gaza, which itself uh, was an, a, a humanitarian crisis to begin with and an extremely desperate situation for most of the people uh, that live there. So um, it's, it's, it's simply not clear. What we do know is that the costs will be extremely high and those who are the most vulnerable in society will um, bear the, the, the brunt of it. Mm. Menachem, we know that uh, the US is backed Israel wholeheartedly uh, since the beginning of this war and it gives roughly 3.8 billion dollars a year and there is uh, another financial aid package has been proposed uh, by Joe Biden's administration. How dependent is Israel on the US when it comes to this war? Obviously uh, today we're talking financially so from a financial point of view. From a financial point of view Israel is not only financial point of view, but also security-wise, Israel is fully dependent on the United on the United States, also politically in the in UN institutions. Um, so Israel cannot, let's say, uh, distance itself too far from the United States. Israel must get now emergency uh, aid to maintain the war, to continue the war. And Israel must continue getting U.S. financial aid and political help, uh, backing, actually, uh, the day after. The key question is when the day after starts, when we count the day after, when, when the war ends. Mm. Uh, will it end with a ceasefire? Will it, will it end with Israelis evacuating occupied, reoccupied Gaza Strip? Nobody knows. The Israelis, it seems that the Israeli administration has no uh, plan for the day after, nor a definition when the day after starts. I want to stick with the United States uh, here for a little bit because they are so integral uh, to all of this. Now, uh, the Biden administration uh, put together a $1.5 billion national security package that includes military and humanitarian assistance for conflicts in Ukraine as well as Israel. 
Uh, it uh, said 14.3 billion of that is for Israel. But uh, now that there is a new Speaker of the House, Natasha, that uh, the Republicans are now saying that they will put forward a bill that only focuses on aid for Israel. How complicated is this all getting from a political point of view in getting money to Israel? I think in terms of getting money to Israel, because the Republicans are so adamant that they do want to support Israel, and you see not just the Republican elites, but Republican support for Israel amongst uh, the, the public is quite high. Uh, and they're, they're going to ensure that the aid, that whatever military aid we're giving, well, whatever Ukraine needs may be up in the air. Uh, aid to Ukraine is probably not going to be up in the air. They're going to try to push that through. And you're seeing that there is some convergence here with Biden, who has been a fairly pro-Israeli president, asking for $14 billion, as you mentioned. Uh, and the pressure really will be more on what happens in the war in Ukraine. Uh, as Israel starts to need more precision-guided munitions, artillery rounds, and shells, this will going to come at the same time that Ukraine might be needing more sophisticated weapons as well. And whether or not the U.S. can produce both of these uh, for both countries at the same time is, is unknown. But I think what we're seeing here with the, the political climate in the U.S., with the Republicans in control of the House, and a more right-wing speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, than, than even in, in the past, if that's possible, mm. uh, Israel would be the priority over uh, aid to Ukraine. Yusuf, mm. you're obviously in the United States, and we have seen... Uh, Shows of solidarity, rallies there for Palestinians, uh, despite the United States' support of Israel. What is the sense there uh, in terms of long-term financially backing Israel here? I think one of the uh, important lessons from what we're seeing here in the United States in terms of the um, uh, dwindling support for um, uh, financing the Ukraine war is that uh, Americans have become quite tired of supporting endless um, military engagements uh, that they don't don't quite understand why they are taking place or why they are so important. And now, you know, well over a year into the, the you know, uh, a war in Ukraine, um, uh, more and more Americans are saying, why are we doing this? Why are we spending money on this? And I think, you know, while there is, of course, a tremendous political support for Israel here in the United States, uh, this is a message that you know Americans themselves uh, are, are are not going to want to engage their tax dollars in an open-ended way, especially when there is no clear objective, no clear end game in sight uh, when it comes to uh, what Israel is doing uh, in uh, in Gaza. Mm -hmm. And I would say that you know we spoke a little bit earlier about some of the the costs here and Israel's reliance on the United States. You know, the, the Israelis fought a war in 1967 against multiple state armies. And at that time, of course, they relied on, on Western arms, but they didn't rely on direct American intervention. And today we see Israel, you know, needing effectively uh, two, if not more, American aircraft carriers um, to stave off two non-state actors. Mm. And so I think Israel has become more rely, you know, more, more uh, you know, dependent on the United States today than it's, than it's ever been. And the costs of this are not just going to be economic. They're going to be political costs and policy costs uh, as well that I think are going to reshape the way um, uh, Israeli policymakers 
thought about much uh, of their of their you know security situation and their economic and political relations as well. Mm. Natasha, just briefly, there's obviously going to be uh, an election in the United States next year. How big a part is financial package to uh, Israel going to play a part in that uh, election? Do you think? I'm not sure it's going to play a huge part because we see other issues becoming more important, whether it be the fight uh, for democracy, if it's a Biden-Trump uh, contest, or issues related to inflation or issues related to the border. Uh, Americans have typically not prioritized uh, foreign policy issues in, in voting as much as some of these other domestic issues. Uh, but we'll have to see how things unfold. I mean, at the moment, though, much of the international community is asking for a ceasefire and very concerned about the plight of um, innocent Palestinian civilians. The polling data that we're seeing in, in the U.S. is showing that Biden is in step with much of the public. Um, you have even 72 percent of Democrats saying that they feel protecting Israel is an important aspect mm. of American foreign policy, and 80 percent of, of Republicans. And only 18% of Americans thought that the Israeli response has been too harsh. Uh, so I think it's possible if the war goes on and becomes very expensive, it could be a drain, there could be some fatigue. But as long as U.S. troops aren't directly involved, I don't see this being a huge issue uh, in the 2024 election because it will be overshadowed by other domestic issues. Of course. OK, thank you. I want to get back can to... I, can I this... to that point? Yeah, of course, Yusuf. Yeah, because I, I do th I, I do think there are complications here, especially when you look at sort of the demographic breakdowns and some of the, the polling on this issue. Uh, there are some key demographics that the uh, Biden campaign needs to have strong turnout in, particularly younger Americans who see this situation very differently than uh, their, their older counterparts. Um, and I think that this is going to be a, a, a real challenge for a Biden re-election campaign. Uh, and add to that, of course, an Arab and Muslim community here in the United States, uh, which is uh, outraged over the Biden administration's approach to this so far. And when you consider how narrow elections are here in the United States and how key constituencies can make massive uh, differences in very specific states, um, it, it, it becomes a, a significant problem for a election campaign that relies on a large and diverse coalition uh, like the Democrats tend to do and mm. rely on significant youth turnout as well. So while the overall public opinion polling is supportive, when one reads between the lines, there are uh, significant alarm bells, political alarm bells that should be going off in uh, Biden campaign headquarters. Yeah. I want to get back to uh, the sense inside uh, Israel now. Menachem, is there a discussion going on in Israel at this point in time, a concern over how it will be able to pay for this war? We've seen the finance minister come out and say that this year's budget is no longer relevant. The S&P Global Ratings Agency has downgraded the economic outlook from stable to negative. Is there any discussion about this at all? Only limited discussion. There is a growing awareness of the compensation of the, the huge amount of money needed to reconstruct the destroyed kibbutzim and uh, towns adjacent to Gaza Strip. They, they are destroyed. Mm. Uh, and add to that the evacuation 
of those places, tens of thousands of people, not only near Gaza Strip, but also in the north, along the Israeli-Lebanon uh, border. So the uh, people living in distance of up to five kilometers in the north were asked by the government to evacuate and go to hotels that the, the government funds for them temporarily, of course. So much depend, depends how long the war continues, whether the war uh, expands also to the north, uh, mm-hmm. a second front opens between Israel and Lebanon. Mm. Add to that that this functioning Israeli government, the Israeli government performance are very, very poor due to, to different uh, causes and reasons. Uh, but but the, the performance are very, very poor. Only in the last few days, the Israeli cabinet appointed a coordinator for rebuilding the, the, the south, the, the kibbutzim and towns mm-hmm. uh, in South Israel. So it will take much time and uh, the Israelis will learn while walking. And uh, I, I, I don't know how it will end up. No. Uh, Natasha, we heard a little bit there about a potential uh, second front opening. What would be the consequences of, uh, if Israel is uh, forced to fight uh, Hezbollah uh, in the north as well as Hamas in the south? Well, I think it would be catastrophic. And of course, it would be incredibly difficult for the Israelis to have to do this. But I just worry about the war becoming even more internationalized. Wars that become more internationalized, of course, have much higher civilian death toll and they go on for much longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this would be the last thing uh, that, that we would need, of course, at a moment when we're trying to get a ceasefire to attend to the uh, civilian uh, casualties and humanitarian crisis uh, facing Gaza, where they're struggling to get food, water, and electricity, uh, and, and just basic needs met. And if, if we then get into a second front, uh, this will put a strain on any kind of effort to do this. But then we also see that when international actors get involved, uh, the death toll just rises, as I mentioned. Yeah. Yusuf, there's obviously uh, the occupied West Bank, which is another issue here. Obviously, people in Gaza are, are, are living uh, a nightmare at this point in time. And there's the uh, financial impact that this war is going to have inside Israel. But what about for those Palestinians trying to earn a living in the occupied West Bank? How difficult is that now and will it continue to be in the future? Yes, well, there's, there are parts of the West Bank, including in uh, Area C, where some Palestinians live, where the economic situation has for many years been more desperate than the economic situation uh, in Gaza, which is something we don't often hear about and can't uh, really wrap our heads around. Um, but, of course, the, the military occupation in, in the West Bank is debilitating for uh, its uh, economic prospects and um, really deprives uh, billions of dollars uh, worth of economic uh, growth from the, the Palestinian economy in the West Bank. Uh, you know, since October 7th, uh, things in the West Bank have become, in, have become much, much worse. Um, uh, Israeli settlers uh, who received additional arms uh, from uh, their supporters in the Israeli government uh, have carried out numerous attacks against Palestinians in the West Bank. This is uh, something that has been escalating 
uh, in uh, recent uh, months and years prior to October 7th. Uh, and there is uh, elevated uh, violence against Palestinians now uh, in the West Bank with over 100 Palestinians that have been killed by their soldiers uh, or settlers uh, since October 7th. This comes at a time where violence against Palestinians in the West Bank was at its highest point uh, since um, international organizations like the United Nations have been keeping track of, of the statistics there uh, mm -hmm. on these things. So the situation uh, is extremely volatile, uh, and you know we talk about the possibility of a uh, of a northern uh, front. There is, of course, the real possibility that there is massive destabilization in uh, the West Bank uh, as well, um, and we see a a spread uh, of this across the entirety of the map, not just you know uh, outside of of Israel and Palestine, but inside of it uh, as well. Mm. Natasha, I'm sure that you've seen uh, some of the huge protests, the rallies of uh, solidarity for Palestinians that uh, have been taking place right around the world. I mean, for example, in London, we saw hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people take to the streets. One of the main things that they are calling for uh, is the UK to stop uh, funding, stop supporting Israel. How much pressure is coming on these Western governments to pull its support of Israel? And what consequences will that have, do you think? Well, there's certainly protests going around around the world, not just London, but also uh, in, in the U.S. as well, uh, from from people uh, upset about the government's support of Israel and, and wanting to take a, a tougher stand, or at least in trying to pressure Israel to to respond with more restraint in, in Gaza uh, and to get some sort of ceasefire and to attend to to the needs of innocent civilians. Uh, but whether or not that actually results in a policy change, you know, we've seen there have been many protests over conflicts over time. If you look at the big picture, uh, it often only just to small changes. Of course, there's counterexamples where something actually works, where the protest movement um, is able to influence government. But if we were to look at all of these different episodes of protest and, and applying pressure on governments, uh, governments ultimately end up doing what they feel they need to do of what is their best interest uh, in, in these particular moments. Mm. Menachem, we've got uh, a minute or two left. Uh, I just want to ask uh, for you to, to sum up the sense of what it is like there in Israel. Does it feel like everyone there doesn't really care about how much this war is going to cost, that they are willing to pay whatever price it might be as long as Israel wins, whatever winning looks like? The, the, the winning looks like um, getting rid completely from uh, from Hamas. I I think that this is unachievable. Uh, Israel can get rid of Hamas leaders, but Hamas as an idea or a social welfare institution or employee. In, in Gaza, the administration that runs the government agencies in Gaza, it, it will be impossible and to, to, to destroy. It will be a big mistake if Israel follows Bush Jr. policy in Iraq, mm -hmm. uh, rooting or creating a chaos in Gaza will backfire Israel. It's counterproductive. Israel must think seriously uh, how to cooperate with Gaza 
-hmm. not how to destroy Gaza Strip. But the Israeli mindset is is implementing revenge, uh, very anger and frustrated, without Mm. thinking politically on the day after. Okay, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, We really do appreciate uh, all three of you uh, coming on the program. Menachem Klein, Natasha Lindstedt, Yusuf Amunaya, thank you so much. This episode was produced by Mohamed Alashi, Kara Legg, Fiongi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Alexander Chagrin. The programme was edited by Saran Morali, Zaina Bada, and Joe DeFrias. Coming up on The Take, Palestinians assess the damage and loss after more than a day of communications blackout. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.